What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Bring in show music, please. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Cameron Costa, and on today's podcast, the New Hampshire primary is underway, and already some concerns about AI-generated interference. It's just, I mean, that's bad news. So far, the polls are looking good for Nikki Haley. New Hampshire Governor Chris Sununu on the votes still to be cast. She's now the only candidate left other than Donald Trump, giving folks a very clear decision, and in some ways a very easy decision. And Boeing's manufacturing mishaps having an impact on its biggest airline partner, United. United CEO Scott Kirby on waiting out the problems. But I'm disappointed that the manufacturing challenges do keep happening at Boeing. This isn't new. I'm disappointed in that. Plus, Alibaba's Jack Ma is back in the headlines, and we're getting answers on the SEC's Bitcoin approval tweet. Turns out it was a hack. The lesson there, if you are not doubly authenticated, you got a problem just across the board. Do it for everything you've got. It's Tuesday, January 23rd, 2024, and Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand by, Joe, in three, two, one. Here's Mike. Q. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box here on CNBC, live from the uh, NASDAQ market site uh, in Times Square, where Becky couldn't wait uh, to get back here. I take and it back. I take it back. You the can't really hear it. In the there's dread, you can't our, hear it on the mic. You can't. Like our are teeth are chattering. You can't hear it on TV, though. I know, yeah. but I'm going to leave here. Just I'm Joe Kernan, along with Becky Quick and Andrew uh, Ross Sorkin. Uh, I know you're going crazy. (laughs) Let's talk about the presidential race. Uh, The New Hampshire primary is today overnight. The six registered voters in uh, Dixville Notch, four Republicans, two undeclared, all casting their ballots for, we said it before, Nikki Haley. Former President Trump holding a sizable lead in the polls in the Granite State. But Haley has been trying to make the state competitive. Most polls close at 7 p.m. Eastern with the final polls closing at 8. Separately, New Hampshire officials are investigating robocalls Uh, messages that went out over the weekend. Now, in a voice that was likely artificially generated to impersonate President Biden, it urged people not to vote in today's primary. The state's attorney general stressing that uh, voting in the primary does not rule out voters from casting ballots in the November general election. But this is the beginning of what I imagine is going to be a lot of misinformation and different AI campaigns and generative AI. You know, we're talking about generative AI and what it can do. Might be the first election where... We talk about that all, all yep. the time. So it just sounded like his voice. He wasn't whispering like he does sometimes, right? You know. It's just, I mean, that's bad it's news. Working. When you can manipulate. It is working, 38,000, huh? Yeah, but when you can manipulate. No, it's not good. Does, go- does Dixville Notch, don't you think Gobbler? I immediately think Gobbler's yes. Knob. But it's Which a totally, that's Groundhog's a February Day. second. Right. Uh, but that, look, that, Interesting. Right now, Nikki Haley is running about 18, 19 percent behind yep. in the polls in New Hampshire against Donald Trump. But yeah, Dixville Notch, 6-0. You would think, OK, you got South Carolina. She should do well there. But, She's but, behind in the polls there, too. I know. But of state. all the places with the most independence where you think 
maybe that's where she'd have a benefit if you know Trump's still low 50s. Well, DeSantis pulling out did not help Nikki Haley. It's helped President Trump. Um, right. We are learning about uh, a hack, more about it, an SEC staffer's phone uh, that led to fake social media posts of that famous one now earlier this month, prematurely claiming that a spot Bitcoin ETF had been approved. The SEC saying the hacker changed the password to the agency's X account. This after gaining control of an employee's phone number. It said the employee was targeted in what's called a, <clears throat> excuse me, a SIM swap. This is an attack through the telecom carrier. So the SEC uh, also saying that multi-factor authentication of its X account had been disabled last July and wasn't re-enabled until after the incident. The FBI's investigation into the hack is ongoing. But the lesson there, if you are not uh, doubly authenticated, you got a problem just across the board. Do it for everything you've got. If there's an opportunity to two-factor authentication, which means that they're going to send you a text message with a code, either every time or every 30 days, do it, do it, do it. For my Twitter account? For everything. Yes, and, don't, and, and we know your joke. Uh, just still do it. I'm not doing it. And I'm not getting a blue check mark. Elon definitely didn't, should do it. Elon for, didn't give me a blue check mark. You should definitely do it for it any financial the blue check mark. No, I know. You should, you, for, you should still do it. You should still do it. Senator Bernie Sanders and a group of Democratic lawmakers are pushing to raise taxes for companies that pay their CEOs at least 50 times more than their typical worker's salary. It would raise the tax rate by between 0.5% and 5%, depending on the CEO to worker pay ratio. The union-backed proposal would generate about $150 billion in revenue over 10 years from major companies like Walmart, Alphabet, Home Depot, J.P. Morgan, Nike, and McDonald's. Senator Sanders saying the companies could avoid the tax hike by raising workers' pay and reducing CEO salaries. The bill faces an uphill battle in the Senate, where Democrats would need the help of nine Republicans to pass it, as well as in the Republican-controlled House of Representatives. And if I could have just offered this brief commentary for half a second about this, which I find very frustrating. If you remember, and I want to go back and find the text, but when this was first introduced, the idea, as you know, was to shame CEOs. But at the time, Democrats, if I remember this correctly, specifically said it was not going to be used in any other way, meaning it wasn't going to be used to then go tax it. This goes to your, Joe I'll get, and Becky, I'll give you credit for when we talk about slippery slopes and the like. Mm-hmm. But, you know, by putting this data out there, the original goal was to say, OK, shareholders are going to see this information. It's going to be transparent. They're going to have a better sense of what comp is. And maybe it's going to force boards to rethink this. Mm-hmm. Now, what do we have ha- happening? It's not just the boards have not rethunk it, by the way, is rethunk a word. Um, and then we know what you mean. On the other side of it, you now have them using this data to try to, to, to try to raise taxes on them. So, you know, buy everywhere. I get it. Just saying. I get it. But no, the only thing I would, you might not get every Democrat and then you need you know, nine Republicans. It's not going to happen. That's it's what not I mean. going to happen. So, but, it's but, not going to happen, just but it's, it's a populist think, cudgel. To, right. That's what I mean. But the, when these guys on both sides, uh, guys and gals on both sides, when all they do are, you know, it's almost a kabuki day. It's almost like it's just posturing. It, and then they have to, to pass Alex the House. Too. Point of course, on why there's a right. have to pass the House too. It's, it's not, got, not not a chance in the sense. So yeah, but you can point Bernie, to how many things. You can point to how many things in Washington that are just that. We'll vote this bill so that you can go back to your constituents and say that you supported this. We know it's not going to pass over there, so don't worry. There, We're going to have 12 votes on this. The amount of cynicism. I mean, there's, there's a cynicism nothing, for a reason because of the way we don't have behave. any problems at the border that Bernie could somehow yeah. be trying to figure something out about some way of getting coming together with, you know, building a consensus on what to do. This is more important. Just 
Just and, and again, ver, then then we're screwed. Yeah, virtue signaling. Deal book uh, just a little while ago reporting that Jack Ma has been buying up uh, shares of the company he founded, Alibaba. He's bought about. $50 million in Hong Kong listed shares in recent months. And separately, Alibaba chairman Joe Tsai has bought about $151 million in U.S. listed Baba shares in the fourth quarter. That's according to a securities filing. Chinese stocks up across the board today in large part, maybe on the back of that. And also perhaps word that regulators will inject more capital into the markets. Of course, Jack Ma had appeared to be somewhat separated from the company. He, will, he remains on this sort of Alibaba partnership, a member of it, given uh, his role founding the company, um, and for those who watch uh, Jack Ma or try to keep a watch out for him, he was seen, first time in a very long time, at an NBA game <laughs> in Paris where Joe Tsai's Nets were playing against oh, wow. the Cavs okay. just this month, wearing a Brooklyn Nets jersey That's and a hat, and he was sitting next to Joe Tsai and his wife. So. I mean, you wonder if this ties back into the idea that Chinese regulators are letting up to some extent on tech companies and maybe relaxing some of the rules that they started grinding in. Well, I think that's what maybe some of the news today about the regulators yeah. is, is suggestive of. I imagine that, and I don't want to speak for him because I don't know the answer, but I imagine Jack Ma and Joe Tsai well, obviously they are, are looking at a company yeah. that is down something on the order of, I think, 39, 40 percent yeah. year over year and are saying, there's a lot more value here, and somehow it's not being recognized by the market. We'll see, of course, CNB how that all works out. Last night? Excuse me? Joel. I saw, I saw the clips, but I did not see the actual yeah. game live. Uh, no, I did not last night. 70 points. <laughs> He's changing the NBA. That's... I had the under. That's... No, I didn't. <laughs> Cheese will be next. Next on Squawk Pod, we'll discuss the importance of retail politics with New Hampshire governor and Nikki Haley supporter Chris Sununu. The two remaining Republican presidential hopefuls, Haley and former President Donald Trump, prepare to face off in today's primary elections in New Hampshire. She's the only one on the ground connecting with voters. She's doing the retail politics. She's making meaningful connections. She's going to businesses and craft breweries and town halls. Those things really matter. Trump flies in, does a rally, and flies out. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve. With the help of T-Mobile for Business, our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. You're listening to Squawk Pod from CNBC. This next conversation you'll hear was recorded on Monday morning. Before the New Hampshire primary kicked off, Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin spoke to New Hampshire Governor Chris Sununu. Here's Becky. 
Our next guest is both host and campaigner in his home state of New Hampshire. I want to welcome Governor Chris Sununu of New Hampshire. He endorsed Nikki Haley's candidacy last month. Governor, thank you for being here with us. You bet. You bet. It's been exciting. Let's talk a little bit about this. First of all, what do you think Haley's prospects are in your state? Well, look, she's already exceeded expectations, right? So she came in. There are a whole bunch of candidates in the race, every single one. She is absolutely knocked out. We were hoping to build on the momentum. She had a strong finish in Iowa. We want, uh, the, the real goal is just to keep building on that so she can take more momentum into her home state of South Carolina, where there'll be three or four weeks or something like that between New Hampshire and South Carolina, a state where, as a former governor, she's won. She knows the people. She's had a lot of success there delivering results. So that's really the goal. So we've achieved those goals. She's now the only candidate left other than Donald Trump, giving folks a very clear uh, decision, and in some ways a very easy decision. And now it's about getting out the vote. That's really what this is. We want as many folks to come out and vote as possible. A high voter turnout will definitely help Nikki. Governor, if she loses in your state and then loses in her state, what are the odds that she can stay in this? Well, New Hampshire's never been a must-win state for Nikki Haley. No, no one's ever said that. Uh, she just needs to show a lot of success and momentum and then build on that into South Carolina. Now, that, that's a month away. I mean, we'll see where that goes. She has all the potential in the world to challenge Trump and, and, and beat Trump in her home state, given all the previous success that she's had there. So right now, we're just focused on getting the vote out. Um, she's the only one on the ground connecting with voters. She's doing the retail politics. She's making meaningful connections. She's going to businesses and craft breweries and town halls, meeting hundreds hundreds and hundreds of voters. Those things really matter. Trump flies in, does a rally and flies out. He's not doing the retail politics, the retail connection. That's why she's had such, such success here to date. And over, over the next 48 hours, it's just about, again, kind of putting her over the top. Why did you choose Haley over not just DeSantis, but over former President Trump to begin with? Uh, so, look, she, there's a couple of reasons. You just look at her background as a governor, right? Governors get stuff done. They don't make excuses for not building the wall. They don't make excuses for not uh, draining the swamp. Trump does that all day long. Hilly, as a governor, knows you, you don't make excuses. You just get stuff done. And as governor, she was incredibly successful. You have the international piece. I don't remember a time when international issues were so at the forefront, probably since the early 90s, uh, of, of uh, America's importance in terms of being strong and uh, bringing world peace, making sure we don't get ourselves into wars. She brings that expertise better than any of them. And at the end of the day, she's just genuine. I mean, she's just genuine. She makes a genuine connection with folks. So she's a strong conservative, but because she's such a, a, a kind of a connected person, she has a, a broad spectrum of appeal uh, to everybody. So that's what you want in a candidate: strong conservative values that then bring the the younger Repu the young Republicans that left the party. We want them back in. Those those Republican suburban moms who in 20 and 22 left the party. She brings them back in. So she makes this party bigger. And she again, being a, a good retail politician, she has that connection. She had a little bit of that live free or die thing in her, if you, if you think of it that way. Governor, you, you can uh, make sense forever. And I'm not sure if, if anything really changes. Uh, in, in other words, I'm nodding with everything you're saying. You know, we had Tim Scott was going to never vote. Even Ron DeSantis, when it was all said and done, turned around and, uh, you know, finally endorsed the president. If it doesn't work out, uh, for Governor Haley, Ambassador Haley, whatever you want to call her. Three months from now, will you be working for Donald Trump to get him elected if he's the nominee? <laughs> no, no look, Never. this is going to work out. I've, I've always no, said, I've it, always I know. said. Let's say it doesn't. So, so what would you do? Who would you write not in? Not even thinking there. Joe, I'm not, it, it, for, for, for me, that's, that's a crazy hypothetical so right happen. now because it'll my only focus happen. is. No, it I'm just saying we're not, we're, I'm not thinking never, about that. You will never say, 
I'm supporting the Republican nominee. Those words will never oh, no. come I've, out of your I, mouth. So let's be clear. I've always said I'm gonna, we're going to vote Republican in this thing. There's no okay. question about that. We're supporting the Republican nominee. Let's not be silly. But the only focus now is showing that momentum okay. that Nikki's built, getting okay. her a win here, carrying that to South Carolina. That's the mission. It's tough. I don't know. It's tough for everybody to figure out what to, what to do. And everybody ends up looking like, you know, you used to be saying this, now here you are, you just, and it's weird the way it, it the inevitability of it, no matter how high-minded someone tries to be, you might end up with former President Trump as your nominee, Chris. Yeah, th th Joe, this is New Hampshire politics. Nothing is inevitable. We always <laughs> buck the trend. Watch what happens. Okay. All right. <laughs> Governor Sununu, thank you. Earlier in the podcast, you heard the anchors chat about the results of New Hampshire's first primary vote. About 17 hours after this governor's Sununu interview, the polls opened in a little town in his state called Dixville Notch. Only six votes, but all of them were cast for Nikki Haley. Coming up on Squawk Pod, United CEO Scott Kirby is waiting out Boeing's cycle of bad news and manufacturing missteps. You know, more than the frustration, it's just I, I'm, I'm disappointed. United needs Boeing to succeed, he says. And now he's troubleshooting at his own company. It probably means that we change the order book some. There's alternative airplanes instead of Max 10s, at least for the next few years. And it probably means we don't grow quite as fast as we were hoping. We'll be right back with the United CEO. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Welcome back to Squawk Pod. This next interview is with United CEO Scott Kirby. He joined us the morning after his airline reported its financial results for the fourth quarter, which were relatively strong. But the big news was the company's forecast for its first quarter. United said it expects a quarterly loss due to the FAA's grounding of Boeing MAX 9 planes after a part blew out on an Alaska Airlines flight earlier this month. Boeing CEO Dave Calhoun joined CNBC on January 10th to discuss the accident. Devastated, emotional. Uh, I saw the picture everybody saw the opening, but what I really saw was the empty seat. And the leadership team did exactly what it needed to do. It grounded the airplanes, the FAA immediately grounded the airplanes, and the Boeing team supported every step of that process. And now we're in a moment where we have nobody at risk. And our job is to understand literally everything that has happened, everything that surrounds that particular fuselage plug, and fix it and make sure it can never happen again. United Airlines has more MAX 9s in its fleet than any other carrier. So Boeing's many manufacturing challenges, I mean, multiple over the last few years, remember the devastating crashes of the 737 MAXs in 2019? They're all a really big deal for CEO Scott Kirby. Here's Andrew with Joe, Becky, and CNBC's Phil LeBeau. United Airlines shares moving sharply higher on full-year guidance. Phil LeBeau joins us this morning with a very special guest, Phil. 
Uh, good morning, Andrew. Scott morning, Kirby, CEO of United Airlines. Let's talk first off on why the stock is moving higher uh, when you take a look at better than expected in the fourth quarter. And yes, there's going to be a hit to your uh, your costs in the first quarter because of the Max yeah. 9. But when you look at 2024 and your expectations, yeah. what do you see? Well, it's really more of the same. 2023 really was the year the plan came together. Uh, United, a year ago, when we talked about what was going to happen, the world developed almost exactly like we expected. We had higher revenues, you know, great improvement in operations, uh, improvement in customer NPS, improvement in premium revenues. And there was higher cost inflation even than we were expected. But there's now a link because those are industry-wide cost pressures between costs and revenue. And they wind up like fuel as a pass-through. So that did great results in 2023. And the same playbook is, is running again in 2024. Let's talk about your guidance for the first quarter. And in January, you're not expecting to get the max nine, which is grounded right now back. In fact, it's going to be a a three-point headwind uh, in terms of your yeah. cost per seat mile. Um, are you frustrated? Well, uh, I'm disappointed. First, I would say on the max is that when it's flying, I'm 100% sure it'll be safe. We have a pretty good handle on what happened, what the right remediation is. Our tech ops team has been working 24-7 uh, on this. Uh, the FAA, to their credit, has been in there with us in the weeds on weekends, late nights. Uh, so I think we're near the end game on that, and the airplane will be safe. But I'm disappointed that the manufacturing challenges do keep happening at Boeing. This isn't new. I'm disappointed in, in, in that. You're biting yourself, your tongue, a little bit here. Are, when you talk with Dave Calhoun, um, how frank have you been about your frustrations trying to run an airline and having these orders and not being able to get the aircraft or, or have confidence? Well, yeah, look, I, you know, we're Boeing's biggest customer in the world. They're our biggest partner in the world. We need Boeing to succeed. And I have a, a lot of confidence in the people of Boeing. There's great mechanics, great engineers, great storied history. But they've been having these consistent manufacturing challenges, and they need to take action to get it. That's the point to Dave and to anyone is it needs to be real action to make. If they don't and when you tell Dave Calhoun defense. this, what does he say? Well, he says yes, but I'm, I'm a lot more. He doesn't disagree, of course, uh, but I am a lot more interested in seeing the actions. Like right now, we need to get through the max. We're doing that. Uh, but on the back side of this, what are the real actions to really get the manufacturing process back to the high levels of quality, consistency that historically existed at Boeing. I want to show everybody what your order book is in terms of deliveries of MAX aircraft. And 150 of the MAX that you expect to take delivery of at some point are the MAX-10. Hasn't even been certified yeah. at this point. Do you still believe you're going to get those planes and when do you think you get them? Yeah, so we're now, best case, five years behind on the original delivery uh, of the MAX-10. Um, and as we've gone through the last year, internally at United, we've grown increasingly to believe that best case, the MAX 10 just gets pushed further and further to the right. So we'd already started working on alternative plans. I think this is the straw, the MAX 9 grounding is probably the straw that broke the camel's back for us. Uh, we're going to at least build a plan that doesn't have the MAX 10 in it. Now, we'll hope that Boeing gets it certified at some point, but we're going to build an alternative plan that just doesn't have the MAX 10 in so it. So you're going to take the MAX 10 out of your plan. How do you get the aircraft in that you were planning to get? Do you go to the leasing companies? Where do you get those aircraft? Because you know that you just can't yeah. turn around and find them out on the street. Yeah, well, we're early in the planning process, so we'll see. But it probably means that we change the order book some. There's, there's alternative airplanes instead of MAX 10s, uh, at least for the next few years. And it probably means we don't grow quite as fast as we were hoping. We're still going to be, in absolute, the fastest growing airline 
in the history of world aviation. But we're not going to grow quite as fast as we otherwise would have because look, the reality is Boeing isn't going to be able to deliver all the airplanes on the time frame. We're 24 airplanes short last year, um, and they're not going to be able to deliver them all. And so we're going to work with Boeing. I've been Boeing's biggest supporter, um, and we're going to try to do anything we can uh, to help. Um, but we just we can't. We're not going to get all the airplanes that we had delivered on the time frame we had, and we just have to accept that uh, and rework the plan. Becky's got a question for you. Becky, go ahead. Yeah, hey, Scott, I don't think I've ever heard you this frustrated. You're a pretty calm, cool, and collected guy, and you're still, you know, you're not filming at the mouth. But th- these are some pretty declarative statements. It sounds like you just said, this is the straw that broke the camel's back. You're frustrated with this. When you're looking at other options, do those include Airbus? Well, well, I'll wait and see. I mean, obviously, there's only one other manufacturer uh, that's really uh, an option for us. Uh, but we'll wait and see. And, and you know, more than frustration, it's just I am, I'm disappointed. And, and, and especially because Boeing is, they're not only our most important partner, they're one of the most important com- companies in the country. They're important to the United States. They're a technology company, engineering company, our biggest exporter. Um, and, and they are taking action. Um, I just wanted to do it faster um, and more definitive. Is part of the problem that they, you know, it's a separate company that they're working with for some of these things. It used to be part of Boeing, spun off a long time ago. But do you think that that ultimately over time created a big problem? Well, I'm not close enough on the inside to, to really know that, to, to give a definitive statement about that. Um, you know, to, to me, um, and, and, and by the way, when I, when I talked to Dave, I talked to him as recently as yesterday. Uh, he says, uh, you know, the kinds of things that I, that I wanted to say, but they, they need to take real action. This is really about blocking and tackling. Uh, they need to take blocking and tackling action. Um, and because Boeing is really, they're not only one of the most important companies in the country, they have great people. Um, I mean, you look at the storied history of Boeing, they have wonderful people uh, who want nothing more uh, than to be the best. And, and, and they can get there, they will get there. Um, I wish it was happening faster, um, but I do think that they will get there. Would there be a point, uh, Scott, where you say, look, not you, but, but the Boeing board, would there be a point where, I mean, how, how far back do you date these this is just the latest, but is it five years? It's like five years, and it's, you know, every time it happens, you're like, oh, is there a time where you say, every single time it happens, you go, all right, this is it. This is the last time that, and I, I just wonder, what could have been done differently? Do you think someone else at the helm would have done something differently over the past five years, and is the board asleep? What, what, how, what do you, how do you explain it? Yeah. I wouldn't say any of those. Like, you know, I think my, my own assessment is, you know, this goes all the way back to the McDonald-Douglas merger, and it started a, a, a change in culture. Um, and, and I think Dave, to his credit, has recognized and, um, and is trying to arrest and turn that the, the other direction. And so there have been really positive changes at Boeing uh, because of that. Um, but, you know, it, this is a long time building, and, and, and I at least think this goes all the way back to the McDonald Douglas. So what if something happens again? What if there's something after this totally unrelated? Then do you say, okay? Well, look, I, I have a lot of confidence in the safety of the airplanes, and, and particularly because we know what happened with this MAX 9. Uh, I think we're near the end game uh, on getting that back flying. Uh, that's really not the question for me. The question is much more about Boeing's ability to deliver the airplanes that they've committed to and to get the MAX 7 and the MAX 10 actually certified. Right. Well, that's what I mean. Uh, that's that a bigger the, question The mark next thing doesn't have to be, hopefully, God forbid, it's a safety issue or something like that. But if another, okay, another cut in, in uh, you know, how many planes you're going to be able to deliver or some other bottleneck that causes things to be pushed out again, there could be a, I have no, 
illusions that, that this is an easy company to run, but you're right. It is the premier manufacturing company uh, in the United States. It, you know, it brings a lot of pride and uh, you know, your chest swells when you think of, of uh, watching those things take off and what they're able to, uh, to do at 40,000 feet. It's, it's just incredible. It does, and, that, and that's also why I'm, I'm certain that, that Boeing, you know, at some point in the future, we won't be talking like this, uh, that Boeing is going uh, to get back to the great storied history, the, one of the best engineering technology companies in the world, um, and they're going to get there. I just want them to get there fast. want to quickly touch base yeah. on the 737-900ER. Remember the, uh, the FAA a couple of days yep. ago said, hey, everybody, check these, do some visual inspections. You guys are almost done with those, yeah, correct? Everything's done. okay? There have been millions of flights on this airplane. Um, uh, but uh, as we always do in aviation, we double, triple, quadruple check uh, anything. And so those inspections that we were almost done last night when I went to bed, they'll be done sometime today. And one last question, business travel. Yeah. It continues to creep back, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. back to United. Uh, you know, it is actually, you know, it's only two weeks into the year. Um, but we have seen a step up uh, in, in business travel. Uh, we're back now in terms of revenue, at least uh, above where we were in 2019. It's still well behind leisure travel. It's well behind the growth in GDP. Uh, but we have seen a step up. Now, we'll see if that continues for the balance of the quarter. But we have seen a step up. Scott Kirby, CEO of United Airlines on Thanks, a day, Bill. guys, where yeah, you know, we talk about the business of United. But part of that, guys, is getting the Max 10. And as you heard, they're going to no longer plan on getting the Max 10. If it comes, great. But they're not putting it in their plans. Guys, we'll send it back to you. All right, Phil. Very good. Thank you, uh, Scott Kirby. That does it for Squawk Pod today. Thank you for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern. To get the smartest takes from that TV show right into your ears, follow Squawk Pod wherever you're listening now. Have a lovely day, and we'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.